The scripture reading today is from Matthew 27, 1 to 23. Let's stand for the reading of the scripture. When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. But the chief priest, taking the pieces of silver, said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. And therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah saying, and they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You've said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge. So the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to you, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. This morning, in looking at this passage, we're talking about um, whether or not we're going to crucify Christ or crown him as king, whether or not we are going to have him as a king or as a criminal. And we are looking at this in what in Scripture is a story. And often in Scripture, when we think about stories, there are plots and subplots and twists to the plot, and that's in this today. Um, there are main characters and sub-characters, and we're going to look at three main characters um, in this and sub-characters that go along with them. And then often in a story, there are issues that are below 
the storyline, that if you don't know, it's hard to really understand the depth of the story. Um, if you were going to read a story about the Civil War and you didn't know anything about slavery or didn't know anything about states' rights or anything that was going on, that story wouldn't have as much meaning to it. So this morning I'm going to pull out a little bit of the teacher card and share just a little bit of the background to this story before we dive into it. And I did my best audio, my best video the other time. Um, I, my, um, I'm going to put this right here so I think most of you can see it. When we talk about, when we talk about scripture, often, oh, I, I almost asked you to come help me, which just, you can, there you go, you're the man. All right, when we talk about scripture, often as people in Presbyterian circles or many churches, we look at something that we call covenants. Anybody know that word? It's a word where we talk about a relationship between a king and his people or a, or a super king, a, a high king. We're going to turn this a little bit, they can see. And then his under king. And in scripture, we have these covenants between God and us as his people. And if you um, know those, they start with Adam. That's this one down here. And you have Noah, you have Abraham, you have Moses, you have David, and you have Jesus. And there were covenants or agreements between God and his people as his representatives on earth in all those covenants. And those blue boxes that you look at is normally how we kind of divide scripture. But underneath all of those, well, I'll jump up here to these little crazy lines at the top. As you look at that, what those crazy lines are are the books of the Bible. And so you have the Pentateuch that comes during the time of Moses. And after that time, you have historical books. And then during the time of David, you have wisdom literature. And then you have the, after that, you have the prophets. And then in the New Testament, we have four gospels that come together as one story of Jesus. And then we have all the epistles and then finally the book of Revelation. So that these are the books of the Bible kind of laid out in where they might fit in the covenants. But covenants are a relationship between God as our king and his people. And it starts out in the covenant with Adam that the covenant was, I make man in my image. And so part of that is that we are representing God, our king in heaven, here on this earth. And so this red box down here that often isn't talked about, but it influences even the story that we're looking at today, is the kingdom of God. These covenants were how the king in heaven was relating to us as his people as we are bringing in the kingdom of God. That's great. You can just, we'll just set this down here for now. So I want to give that background because that's important as we look at these three characters and the sub-characters under them in our story today because it has to do with understanding the story and saying they were thinking about their own kingdoms and, and how the kingdom of heaven was going to interact in their world. The first character that we have in this story is Judas, a very sad character, a character that was pushed by a number of different issues to do what he, he did. And you know this, that he sold Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver. When you begin to ask what was he pushed by, 
There are some scholars out there that would certainly point to verses that say he was greedy and he was stealing from the treasury and he wanted more money, 30 more pieces of silver, and that's part of it. But as you look at this passage that we're in today, it says that he, when Jesus was finally accused and was sent to be punished, he was remorseful about it. And so that makes people ask, okay, what was happening in his mind? And we don't know totally this, but one of the options out there is that he was wanting to see the kingdom of God come in, but it was the kingdom of God as he thought it ought to be. And so there are some that would think that Judas was saying, hey, if I push Jesus by turning him over to the high priests and the leaders, then he'll have to stand up and go, okay, the kingdom of God is here now. And he will have his angels come down and fight and all that kind of stuff. We don't know that for sure, but it is reasonable to say because he says in this passage, I have this remorse and he didn't want the money anymore, that there was something else driving him. And so I would look at it and say Judas was pushed by the high priests, by his political views of how he wanted the kingdom of God to come there and overthrow the Romans and straighten out everything as it was supposed to be. It could be that he had broken dreams of saying, I, 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 I thought Jesus was going to be this great leader that was going to save us from the Romans and was going to make everything right. He provided food for us. He raised people. He did all, and Judas saw all those things. Judas knew all those things. He had been involved in every aspect of Jesus' ministry. And then to come to the point of saying, but he's not stepping up. So there is this possibility that Judas was saying, I'm going to make him step up. Uh, and so that remorse that he had um, when he finally realized that Jesus was going to be punished and was going to die for this, um, he felt bad about it. And it's interesting because as Christians, we want people to have remorse for their sins. We had a confession of sin. We want you to think about your sins and say, Father in heaven, I am sorry for those sins, and I do turn from them, and I do confess that I've done those things. But when, Jesus, when Judas came and he had gotten this money from the high priest, it says, um, in, uh, I've lost my verse here. Anyway, it was the, the concept that Judas came and said, I, I don't, this was not good. I shouldn't have done this. I'm not happy with this. That remorse, though, is not what we would call biblical remorse. There's a passage in Scripture, 2 Corinthians um, 7.10, where it talks about a remorse that leads to death. And there is a difference in remorse and turning from your sins as a Christian and saying, I come to God and confess my sins and have remorse for my sins and turn to his kindness and mercy to me versus what Judas did. Because Judas's remorse led to death. Judas's remorse was not true repentance. Judas' remorse, like his lack of faith, he knew Jesus. He had a head knowledge. He was aware of everything that Jesus had done, but he didn't have faith in his heart to say, this is my Savior, and I will follow him wherever he leads. So that's person one, main character in our passage, is that of Judas. Next to him is the sub-characters of the high priests and the leaders. Now, the high priest um, at that time was a very interesting, all the things that were going on, the high priest actually 
at one point installed his sons, up to four sons came in as different roles in the high priestly role, and then a son-in-law was involved with that. They were making a lot of money um, through the temple. Remember when Jesus cleared the temple, he was getting rid of the money changers and the people selling. They were taking a cut of all that, so it was a very a place to make a lot of wealth. Um, they had control of the people, and they were able to say, we you know, are influencing and have power, even though it was under the Romans. Um, I think that they had incredible power in that day. And it's obvious that part of what was driving them is they didn't want an insurrection under Jesus. Like Judas, I think they thought Jesus was going to raise up and overthrow the Romans. Well, a lot of people tried that in those days, and they failed. And the Romans, you know, came down with a heavy hand on the people when that happened. So part of the mo motivation of the of the church leaders, of the, the temple leaders, the high priest and others, was I think that they were guarding their money. They're making sure we didn't have problems and people couldn't come and pay all, their, all this money into the temple and into their coffers. And they also were, they didn't want anything to upset the apple cart of just life in general. And so you have this man who wants to influence, I think, Jesus in a political way or disappointed that Jesus hadn't done everything he wanted, or greed, which is another option there. You have these two other, other groups, the high priest and the leaders of the, of, the, of the temple, who were coming in and saying, we want this man put to death. The second main character that we would have in this is Pilate. And Pilate, of course, is a Roman leader, and he is being pushed, I think, by the crowd. So you have Judas being pushed by the religious leaders of the day and by his political views. You have Pilate being pushed by the crowd. And in that, I think that he, he didn't want a, an insurrection. He didn't want people to say, hey, you're not faithful to Caesar. We find that in another passage where they, they were like, well, you know, if you don't stand up against Jesus, we're going to talk bad about you all the way to Caesar. Those, those political issues and those peace issues were driving Pilate. But Judas, as he was not remorseful and was not seeking to, to truly follow Christ, Pilate was indifferent. Pilate comes along and he goes, what do you want? How does this work for you? Now, this was a really unusual situation that Pilate was in because it was the Feast of the Passover, which was a huge celebration. People came from all over the world. Legally, if, if you were in X, I forget the number, if it was 15 or 50, but in some distance, you actually had to, every male had to come to the temple and offer a sacrifice. And you had to show your lamb and do all this stuff. And you know from the Old Testament that whole aspect of um, having a lamb and the Passover came, the angel of death came, and if you hadn't, didn't have the blood on the doorframe of the house, then the firstborn died. Well, they were celebrating that because it led to their um, being released from captivity in Egypt. And so it was a big deal to them. And it was an even bigger deal because the Roman governor at that time said, as it was his custom, to say, hey, if you want me to release somebody... I'll release somebody. Now, if we had that in this day and age, you can imagine if our governor said, y'all get to pick. Who do we want to pick? Our, how would you even decide that? 
I mean, maybe we'd look for the most innocent person we knew that was wrongly accused. Um, maybe we would look for a family member. Maybe we would look for um, someone that we know that we say, hey, we want that person to have an, a new opportunity. And that happens occasionally in our world, especially when presidents give uh, clemency and that, and that sort of thing. But if you can imagine, it happened every year at a time when there were lots of people in Jerusalem. And it was a very tense time because part of the reason I think that Pilate had a habit of doing this is when you had thousands of people coming to Jerusalem, uh, an insurrection or a problem with the people was way more likely. And so um, they would say, who do you want? Well, he does that in this case, and you end up with them saying, we want Jesus, and he says, what about Barabbas? And we're going to talk about Barabbas in a, a, a minute here, but the concept here is that this man was a rebel, so he was not liked by the Romans, but he was also, Scripture tells us in other places, that he was a murderer and a thief. So I can guarantee you, the Jewish leaders did not hold this guy up in high esteem, and the Romans did not hold this guy up in high esteem. He, what Pilate was basically doing was, how do I pick the worst person out there or Jesus? And I think part of the reason he was doing that huge difference in comparison was that he thought they would go, well, of course we want this guy to be crucified. We don't want Jesus. And he was pushing that envelope in part because I think of what his wife said, and I loved how Carol read it, too, because she read it with that little wife voice that was really good. It was, um, don't do this. Please don't do this. You can see that happening where the wife comes and says, Pilate, I've had dreams about this. This is not a good thing. And he had looked at all the circumstance and said, there's nothing here. I don't, a charge of blasphemy to the Romans wouldn't have meant anything. It meant a lot to the Jews, but it didn't mean anything to him. There was nothing to condemn Jesus for. But he comes very passively. He's like, well, you know, whatever you guys want, we can do that. And he lets the crowd decide. And so I, I see here a man that was pushed by politics, a man that was pushed by disappointment, a man that was pushed by greed and, and wanting to have more money. I see leaders who are pushed by their own greed, who are pushed by their own desire to to have control. You have a, a political leader in, the, in Pilate, a man who is indecisive, who isn't willing to make the hard decision as a leader, who's listening to a crowd who's being pushed by the religious leaders to, to ask for something that's an obviously, and how Pilate set it up, as the wrong choice. But where do they all result? All of that results in Jesus being crucified. The third character that we're looking at is Jesus. Now, this one is really interesting because if you read the passage and passages even before and after it, Jesus comes across as weak. He comes across as um, having no answer to the accusations against him. He comes across as having no power. He comes across as having no way out. He's stuck in this situation. And if you read it, with earthly eyes, that's what you see, a man who is being pushed by the situation that he's in. But that's not what was happening. Because Jesus was being pushed by obedience to his father. 
Jesus was being pushed, not by the crowd, not by the leaders, not by Pilate, not by Judas. Jesus was doing what he knew his father wanted, which was going to death on the cross to save a people for himself. And so that silence was a silence of power. That silence was a silence of control. That silence was a silence of hearing the Father. And so we have Jesus in this situation as the King of Kings, totally in control, totally aware of the situation, totally understanding the supernatural impact that his actions were having. But there's a sub-character, too, in this story. And that, for Jesus, I think is Barabbas. And this is a man that was evil in so many different ways. And he had to know that he was on his way to the cross. And he had to know that that death would have been a terrible death. He was hours away from that. And then this happens. Now, we don't know a lot about what happens to him in history. But in this story, he goes from being certain death to being totally free. He goes from certain death to being released. He goes from certain death and condemnation of the people and the religious leaders and the social leaders and the political leaders to being released. And so my question to you today, my question for me today, is, what is our, what's the character that we identify with? There's a passage in Scripture, 1 Peter 3.18. I want to read this to you. For Christ suffered once for sins and the righteousness for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God and put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. What that's talking about is what we have referred to here as the double exchange. And that's the exchange of our sinfulness for the righteousness of Christ. We know what that is. If we're here today and we have faith in Christ alone for our salvation, we know that his righteousness was put on us. We know that we are more like Barabbas of a sinner in total disconnect from a holy and perfect God, unable to come into his presence. But because of Jesus, we are. But I'm afraid sometimes that we're a little bit more like some of the other people. We might be like Judas. And we're disappointed in our lives because we say, God, you didn't work this Christian life out for me like I wanted. It's not happening like I want. Or it may be, God, I want more out of my life than what you're giving to me. And I'm going to do things in a not godly way to get there. Like Judas was a thief. It could be like the religious leaders. They wanted peace and security and things to keep moving the way they were. And they didn't want God to upset all of that. They didn't want the kingdom of God to come in and change that. Or it could be like we're like Pilate and we're indifferent. We go, "Eh, who knows? But that's not what script. You can't get away with that. Spiritual anarchy does not work. There is a king over us in some way, shape, or form. We are either in the kingdom of God or we are not. And if we're not in the kingdom of God, then we're in the kingdom of the one who fights against him. And so I come to you this morning and I say, 
what are you looking at? Are you changing the, the property of hell for the jewel of heaven? Are you like Barabbas that was desperate situation and then finds out that you're free? Are you looking at things and saying, I'm remorseful like Judas that leads to death? Or are you remorseful in a way that leads to faith in Christ alone? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. For our sake, he made him to to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a hard concept, I think, for some to understand because we talk about grace a lot. And we believe in grace. And we believe that grace is a totally free gift. And so I, I, I encourage you this morning to think about that in your spiritual life that you come to Christ totally because of what he did. Not because of anything that you did. Not because you're a nice person. Not, you know, John goes to Africa and ministers to people. That doesn't make him more righteous. He comes to Christ only because of what Christ did for him. The same for myself, the same for you, the same for any of us that are believers in this room. It's not our righteousness. But at the same time, that verse says that, um, that we are made, he became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And so as you think about that this morning, I want you to think about this concept. We are in the kingdom of God. We are followers of Jesus Christ. We have these covenants that talk about our relationship with God. All that comes down to the fact that we are his representatives. And so I ask you this morning, is he your king or is he a criminal? Do you want to crown him or do you want to crucify him? As you think about what character you relate to, I want you to think about what's the outcome or the cry of your life. When people look at you, when people look at us as vintage grace, as we plant this church, are we planting this church because we say we want to see the power of God, that free grace announced in this community, that we want to see that kingdom of God raised up in our community, that people can look at us and say they represent the king of kings. Now, this is a lot of work to do this. You can ask Kyle, you can ask others that come every week and do so much to make this happen. You can ask the people that serve every week with the children's ministry. You can ask Andrew and the musician. You know, as they do the things we do, we do that because we say we are here to serve the king. And we are here to bring in his kingdom. Not to earn his favor, but because we are his representatives. And so as you think about this today, I want you to think about how can I serve him better? How do I come to him and represent him better in my community? 1 Peter 2, um, verse 24 says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. My question to you this morning is if you are seeing yourself more as a Judas disappointed in Christ, if you see yourself as the political leaders who just wants peace and security in your life, if you see yourself as Pilate as indifferent, yes, 
repent, turn to Christ. But I think most of the people in this room would see themselves more as Barabbas, saved by one unworthy to die, one worthy of, of, of being exalted, but who was condemned for our sake. And if that's true, then this verse in 1 Peter says that we will live for righteousness, for righteousness. What does that look like? And my question to you today is, what are you doing? What are we doing? How do we bring in the kingdom of God? Now, if you're in school, young people, that means in your school, you're saying, how do I live out what it means to be a Christian, a representative of Christ in the workplace, with your husband, with your wife, with your family, with your kids, how we treat one another, when we come together for a community group, when we come to worship, are we living out? This is what it means to bring in the kingdom. And if that's true, if we're doing that, we will grow because that's good news. That's exciting news to say we treat one another more like the kingdom of God. We talk about what it means to be the people of God and live that out. We minister to other people like we do the English as a second language. That's not something where we get a whole lot out of it. But it's us saying this is the kingdom of God. We care about the immigrant and the person that needs help. And so as you go today, I want you to be thinking about having received God's grace, how do I serve the king? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for giving us these three different examples of your kingdom. And Father, as we do that, um, we acknowledge that you are good to us and you have shown us great mercy. And Father, we just pray that we would be a people that bring you great honor in all that we do. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song, Hallelujah, What a Savior. And um, I thought about singing it to you, but my, I think I would have embarrassed my son. But it, start, it ends with this, this verse. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song will sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Let's sing.